Well, good afternoon, Strong Tower. Uh, so good to be with you on this Christmas Eve afternoon. And I know you are anticipating a wonderful day tomorrow to be spent with the Lord, with your family, and with your friends. You know, Jesus Christ is the bread of life who was born in Bethlehem, which is the house of bread, so that he might come and satisfy every hungry soul who is in desperate need of his mercy. And so this afternoon, I pray that you would join me uh, for a quick word uh, from the scripture. So turning your Bibles to Luke chapter two, let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this opportunity to worship you. Thank you for this opportunity to hear a word from you. We thank you, Lord, for what tomorrow symbolizes in our faith. It is the birthday of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for loving us so much that you sent your son to save us, to deliver us, to redeem us from our sin. Jesus, thank you for coming. Thank you for wrapping your glory up in human flesh. Thank you for making yourself vulnerable so that your hands may be penetrated with nails, so that your brow may be penetrated with a crown of thorns. Thank you that you shed your blood so that humans could be forgiven, so that we could be born again. Holy Spirit, thank you for coming on the day of Pentecost. Thank you for being poured out on all flesh, fulfilling us, for comforting us, for teaching us, for consoling us. And now, Lord, I pray that your word would fill every empty space in our hearts this evening. May we be astute. May we tune in to what you have to say. For we love you and we thank you in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Well, tomorrow morning in just a few hours, you're going to be able to assemble around the Christmas tree and open up several packages, open up several presents. Now, my wife, every now and then <laughs> in our family, she doesn't allow us to open up presents the first thing in the morning. We like to have breakfast together. We'll read scripture. We'll do a lot of things. And, uh, and I think she's testing us to see the motivation of our hearts to, to, to remind us that it's not our birthday, but it's Jesus's birthday. Um, but we all have a good time as we hand out gifts and, and watch the delight on one another's faces as they open up their presents. It's just such a good warm time. Because Jesus teaches us in the book of Acts that it is more blessed to give than to receive. And the joy of watching loved ones receive gifts that you spent time trying to figure out what was the best gift for them, how to wrap those presents, and to see them open them up in front of you. Man, that is truly, truly a blessing. And I pray that tomorrow everyone in your home will experience that blessing of giving more than even receiving. But you know, the best gifts are not the gifts that we unwrap. They're not the best, they're not the gifts that we buy in malls. They're not the gifts that can be bought with money. I believe the best gifts that God can ever give to us are gifts that are wrapped in human flesh. Yes, right. Not in paper, but in flesh. And the greatest gift of all is God's son, Jesus Christ, who wrapped his glory 
in human flesh that he might save us from sin. You know, the first Adam sinned in the garden and all of us began to fall as a result of his fall. But the Bible says that Jesus is the last Adam who died for us on Calvary's cross that we might be able to stand and even stand in the presence of God as accepted and beloved sons and daughters of the Most High. So the greatest gifts are not things found in the store, but things or people, I should say, who are wrapped in human flesh. You know, God has a way of not only giving us Jesus, the greatest gift of all, but he also has a way of giving us people and friends to be some awesome gifts in our lives. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That's good news because gifts that we've received throughout our lifetime, uh, they've worn out. We've lost them. We've had to throw them out. Uh, but we have friends in our lives, according to Proverbs, who will stick close to us, closer than any brother. And then in Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17, it says that a friend loves at all times. So if you have those kind of friends who love you at all times, especially hard times, especially during messy times, you are blessed. And if you are the kind of friend who will love other people during their hard times and their messy times, then you, my brother and sister, you are a blessing. And I want to see how this concept of having friends played out in the life of Mary and Joseph at a time when their family didn't even stick with them. God made sure that some friends showed up. And I've entitled this message this evening, Messy Friends. Messy friends. Friends who will love us in our mess and friends who we can love in their mess. Messy friends. Well, when we come to Luke chapter 2, Joseph had to go back home. You see, he was in Nazareth, which is in Galilee in the north, with his betrothed wife, Mary. And he's just accepted the fact that she has been impregnated and overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. And she is bearing the Messiah, the son of David, the son of God in her womb. And so they are living in that moment, anticipating what this means for their lives. And they are minding their own business in Galilee, in Nazareth. But Joseph, according to the text we're about to read, He's going to have to go back home, which is in Judea, which is way down south. So they're going to have to leave the north to go to Judea, to go specifically into Bethlehem, because that is where Joseph's family is from. Because God is going to use a census to get Joseph and Mary out of the north and into the south. Now, when God does this, God understands, according to Micah chapter 5, that his son is to be born in Bethlehem, which is in the south. And had it not been for this census, Mary and Joseph may have just remained comfortable in Galilee. But God says, no, I'm going to use this census to move them from the south, or rather from the north to the south, so that his son can be born as prescribed 
by scripture. But I have a couple of questions to ask as Mary and Joseph make this trek from the north way down south. Question number one is, is it possible that Joseph could have been hesitant about going back home to be amongst his relatives? Uh, I want to say it's very possible that this brother was hesitant about going to be with his people. Why? Because he's bringing his betrothed wife with him and she is pregnant and she's showing and she's pregnant with a child that's not his. And so I would imagine he's probably not too excited to explain this scenario, this story to his family. And had he had it his own way, he would have just stayed in Galilee in Nazareth with his bride. But God says, no, I got to shift you and I'm going to send you back home with your family. And so I think there's a possibility that Joseph was a little bit hesitant about going back home and explaining to his family why his wife was pregnant with a child that was not his. Oh my, I got another question. Do you think Joseph's family truly accepted Mary and her story of being a virgin who was impregnated by the Holy Spirit? Now, listen, I know we all love God and, and we want to be spiritual. We want to walk by faith. We want to live by the word. But let's not remove the human element out of the word. OK, you see, I'm a man of God, but I'm still a man. All right. And as such, when I read these stories, I think about what would I have done if one of my relatives whom I haven't seen in a while comes to visit my house, my area, my town where he grew up. And he's coming with his betrothed wife. And the story is she's pregnant, but it's not Joseph's baby. And so if Mari Povich lived during that time, he would be standing off on the side with a manila envelope in his hand and he would pull out the paper and he would say, Joseph, you are not the father. And so how would Joseph's family feel? Would they truly, truly, truly accept Mary? But thirdly, do you think Joseph's family believed Mary was the best person to marry Joseph? Huh? Think about it now, because she's coming with some baggage. She's coming with a unique story that, again, is probably not too believable. And I begin to think and wonder, does Joseph's family, do they think that Mary is the best person for their son? for their brother, for their cousin, for their uncle. And again, if we just think from a human perspective, they're probably not too receptive of her or of this arrangement. And see, those questions help frame the background that we're going to come into here in Luke chapter two. Because when we read this, I'm going to read it in a way and interpret it in a way that we're not usually accustomed to here in the West. I'm going to look at this through Eastern lenses as we interpret Luke chapter two. And so this interpretation is going to run against the warm and fuzzy Western interpretation that many of us have grown accustomed to. So stay with me and I'm going to prove things from scripture uh, because you, because it's new. You may think I'm making stuff up, but no, I'm not making stuff up. I'm just trying to let the scripture speak within their grammatical and historical and cultural context. 
So if you're with me, let's go to verse 1 of Luke chapter 2. The Bible says, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the lineage and house of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So now a traditional Western approach to this story is that Mary and Joseph came from Galilee into Bethlehem. And Mary was pregnant and great with child. And as they came into Joseph's hometown to be registered, there was no room for them in the inn, in the hotel, if you will. All the rooms were booked up. And so as a result, they had to give birth to Jesus in a stable where animals were, where a manger, a feed trough would be. And so, so that, that's typically the way we see this story. But let's dig into this from an Eastern and grammatical perspective to really look at this. So let me begin by looking at the word in, in verse seven. Verse seven says, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths or swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So again, we're thinking Motel 6, we're thinking the Marriott, but that's not what's going on here from a cultural, historical, and grammatical perspective. You see, the word in here is the word kataluma in the Greek, kataluma. And this word kataluma means guest room, guest room, not hotel. So there was no room in the guest room. And if we were to look at Luke chapter 22, verse 11, we would see this word kataluma used again. And it reads in Acts, excuse me, Luke 22, verse 11, then you shall say to the master of the house, this is Jesus speaking, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? So when Jesus uses this word, that is the Greek word, kataluma, where's the guest room? So this is not speaking of an inn or a hotel, but this is speaking of a room that was a part of a house where people in that culture and during that time, they would have a guest room so that when travelers came at night, they could receive strangers, receive travelers and put them in a guest room, which was in the house. And many of us have guest rooms in our homes. Not every bedroom is occupied by occupants of our house, of our homes. We have extra rooms called guest rooms 
Well, in homes in that day, again, because there was so much travel from place to place and to be hospitable to people, you would have a room or a guest room in your house that you could accommodate people in. So when Mary and Joseph came to be with his family, there was no room for them in the guest room. Or in other words, they didn't make room for them in the guest room. Now, keep in mind, she is pregnant. She is with child. And the family is saying, no, you can't stay in the guest room. But I know somebody is saying, wait a minute, Pastor, before you go any further, can, can you give me a little bit more on this inn thing? What, what, why is in here not a hotel? Because when we look at Luke's writings, there's another place where a hotel word is used. And that's found in Luke chapter 10, verse 34. And it's the parable of the Good Samaritan. Listen to this different Greek word that's about to be used. Stay with me. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animals, brought brought him to an inn and took care of him. Let me read that again. I butchered it. And he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. Now, that's a different word in the Greek language. And that's the word pandaxi. And that speaks of an inn or a hotel in our uh, culture. So we see that there are places, inns for people in Bible days. The Good Samaritan put the, the man into a hotel, into an inn. But that is not the word used in Luke chapter 2 concerning Mary and Joseph's experience. They didn't go to a hotel. They went into Joseph's house with his relatives and his own relatives did not make room for them in the guest room. Why? Could it be based on some of those questions that I was asking earlier that Joseph knew his people and he knew that they wouldn't receive him and his pregnant or should I say suspiciously pregnant bride uh, that he hasn't even formalized and finalized his wedding with yet and that she's pregnant and knowing his people his people said there's no room for her in the guest room. So therefore, we're going to put her in the basement where they normally would keep animals. And so in those days, they would build homes over natural caves or they would create a basement in the house in order to put animals in, in order to protect them in the evening and in the night from frost, but also from thieves. So they would bring the animals in, put them in the basement. And that's why there's a trough there for them to feed from. And so rather than allowing Joseph and Mary to be upstairs, if you will, in the guest room, they put him and his pregnant wife in the basement because there was no room in the guest room. But here's the deal, though. They could have made room in the guest room, but they chose not to do so. Why? Because we make room for whomever and whatever we deem important. But because they didn't deem this important, or let's just say they didn't care for her, and I'll prove that a little bit more as we go on in the text, that they gave them the basement, or they gave them the attachment to the house where the animals dwelled. And so I'm just saying to you that it's possible, as we get the warm and fuzzies out of our mind, that Joseph's family did not truly receive nor embrace he and Mary 
and therefore put them down in the basement or the attachment to the house where the animals were kept. So let me ask you a question. If one of your relatives came to your house this Christmas season, maybe even tonight, and uh, let's just say it's snowing outside and it's cold, it's, it, it's a tough night, and uh, they come in and they're engaged, they're not married yet, and, and the, the, the woman is pregnant, wouldn't you find a place for them in your house? Even if you may not agree with the relationship, you may not agree with the fact that they're pregnant out of wedlock, but you would still find a place for them, right? I hope you wouldn't say, y'all go stay in the garage where the cat and the dog stay on this cold night. That, that's the best we can do for you because we really don't even want you in here, but we're gonna let you go in the garage. And I know we look at that and say, man, uh, we wouldn't do that. We would bring them in the house. But, but there are some families that have some uh, strained dynamics and they don't care what situation or circumstance you find yourself in. They're not going to let you in the house. OK, so it is plausible. It is possible that Joseph's family didn't really take to this arrangement and with Mary coming in pregnant. And so they say you could stay with the animals. So when baby Jesus was born, as we're going to see here in a moment, my question is, where was Joseph's family? I mean, if you can close the door to a pregnant woman, I don't think you're going to come downstairs or to the attachment next door to celebrate the birth of this child. Because as we're going to read, when she gave birth, there were no family members of Joseph around celebrating this birth. They were there by themselves. Now, remember, he came to be with his house, his family to be registered in Bethlehem. But his family was not there when she gave birth to their son or to the son of God. They weren't there because they were in their feelings. They weren't there because they didn't accept this situation. So Mary and Joseph find themselves alone. The Bible says there was no room in the inn when it was time for her to bring forth her son. There was no room in the guest room because they wouldn't make room for her. So we may look at this and say, man, we would have taken them in. But their family members, Joseph's in particular, said, mm, no, we're not taking them in. And here's another thing, too. When we read the story, we never read about Mary's family. Hmm. We don't see them in support of this. Now, maybe they were, but the Bible doesn't mention that they were. So they may have been an ostracized, isolated couple feeling very much alone because of the, how different this assignment was. So they have each other when they don't even have their families with them. Now, this is Joseph's apex. I mean, this is the, the, the brightest moment in his life, if you will, where he is about to help his wife give birth to Jesus Christ, the son of God. There's no midwife to help. It's just him and her. This is his highest moment. And his family, they aren't even there to be with their brother, their cousin, their uncle, their nephew, their son, as his soon-to-be wife brings their child in. But you know what, though? 
We have moments in our lives where we have great accomplishments and our own family, sometimes they don't support us. Some of you have discovered you have enemies in your house when God decides to take you from being single to dating somebody. Then all of a sudden now, you got friends who don't be your friend anymore. The spirit of haterism has risen up in them and they can't be happy for you. Let me put this in for free. Beware of people who can't be happy for you when God blesses you. And sometimes they can be our family members who get jealous that God is blessing us. But look, if God is blessing my neighbor, that just means that God's in the neighborhood. So be happy for them. God is no respecter of persons. And you should be satisfied and content with who you are and what you have that you can legitimately be happy for other people who may get certain blessings that you don't have. And your stank attitude may frustrate God getting the blessing to you that you want. So, man, be happy when one part of the body rejoices. Rejoice. Don't hate. But as soon as you came home with him or her at Thanksgiving, somebody had a problem. Oh, my. Then you got family members that can't get happy for you when you get a new job. You got family members who can't get happy with you when you finally get your house. You finally get a house and they can't be happy for you because they don't have a house. Or when you have a baby yourself because maybe they're wrestling with infertility or, or they're struggling through an adoption and, and here you get pregnant. And so you can have family members who don't get happy with you. Or when you get a new car <laughs> and they're still struggling with their car that's held together by scotch tape. And here you are coming in there with a new car and rather than being happy for you in this great moment, they hate on you. Or like me, uh, let's see, back in 2016, when I got my doctorate, which was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, four years of heaven, uh, four years of struggle, and I finally got that doctorate. But guess what? There were some people who weren't happy for me. They weren't happy for your pastor when I got the doctorate. Uh, they felt threatened. They were jealous. They put me down. They said, I didn't need extra education. Why can't you just rejoice with somebody who's going through something that, that is celebratory? Because they're people and sometimes they're family members who just won't be there with you and for you. And when I read this story, nobody's there with Joseph from his family as he's bringing the son of God into the world through the birth canal of Mary. Nobody there. But as I close this message, God made sure that they had somebody there. You see, when the family wasn't, God says, I'm going to bring some friends by. I'm going to bring some people into your life who that when they come, they're going to honor me for sending my son. And they're going to support you in this most critical moment of history so that you don't have to go through this by yourself. I'm going to send some messy friends. I'm going to send some shepherds. That's right. I'm going to send some shepherds to be with you. And shepherds in that day, they were considered messy people. <laughs> they were the outcasts of society. They were on the lower rung of society. And so God is going to send some outcasts to welcome his son into the world when Joseph's family wouldn't come there voluntarily to be with him and Mary. You see, shepherds were messy because they worked with sheep all day, every day. And if you're hanging out with animals 
who, uh, let's see here, how can I be discreet on Christmas Eve? Sheep stank because sheep had a whole lot of dung. And if you're a shepherd, that means you spend a whole lot of time with dung, which means you smell like dung, which means people weren't lining up to go get this job. Not only that, shepherds had to always deal with rustlers and thieves and wolves and coyotes. And so it was a violent job. It was a threatening job, a dangerous job. Not everybody wanted this messy job. That's why they would grab a hireling from time to time, somebody that could come in hourly and just watch the sheep. But not only that, they would grab the family member that was usually uh, the youngest and the one who they may have thought didn't have much of a future. They would allow that youngest family member to watch the sheep. Uh, David, anyone who's out watching the sheep when, Je uh, when uh, Sam Samuel comes into the house asking Jesse which one of his sons is going to be the next king. David is out there in the fields with the sheep, smelling like sheep, hanging around with sheep. And so this was a messy profession. And so sheep were uh, shepherds were considered messy people. But those are the people that the Lord sent to Mary and Joseph so that they wouldn't have to go through this alone. I'll pick it up in verse 8, where it says, Now there were in the same country, Shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Verse 15. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known unto us. And they came with haste. And found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now, when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. In other words, they went and told it on the mountains. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying God and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told to them. So God sent some support. God sent some friends to be with them in this moment when their family members weren't even there. Let me give you a couple of things about messy friends. Messy friends are not perfect, but they are present. They're present. And they're present in the most important moments of your life. And even many times the hardest moments in your life. The ministry of presence is something that cannot be uh, uh, overlooked nor denied. Just being there with someone. And so these guys were not perfect, but they were present. 
Because once again, I ask, where was Joseph's family? Perhaps they wanted nothing to do with Joseph and Mary. Another thing about messy friends, messy friends don't have to stay in your life long to make an impact. They were just here for one moment, one night. They didn't stay long. And sometimes God will bring people into your life for a specific reason and a specific season. And when they come, they're going to make the impact that you need in that moment in your life. Some of them are not meant to go on with you. Some of them are just meant to be in that moment with you and to stand for you so that you're not by yourself. And so that's what messy friends do. They, they don't have to be around long, but when they are around, you know it because their presence has been felt. But then thirdly, messy friends will get refreshed as they refresh you. These guys came to honor God, to worship God, to see the babe. And as they left, the Bible talks about how they were rejoicing when they left. So they came to be a blessing, but they ended up getting blessed before they left. And the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, chapter 11, verse 25, that he or she who refreshes others will himself or herself be refreshed. That when you give, God will give right back to you. So when you're that kind of friend who will go and encourage your friends, God has a way of encouraging you yourself. And one of the ways that I beat discouragement, one of the ways I beat depression is that I go out and try to find somebody else that I can encourage because somehow encouraging other people in a moment of discouragement for me somehow pumps life back into me. There's this kingdom concept and principle, this law that give and it shall be given back unto you. When you serve others, God has a blessing for you. That's not my primary motivation, but something happens when I be a blessing to people. I feel better when I help somebody else feel better. So Mary and Joseph had some messy friends who showed up, who were present, who didn't stay long. As a matter of fact, the wise men didn't stay long. They came to worship the child Jesus, but then they also brought gifts with them. They didn't stay long, but their presence was felt because Mary and Joseph was able to use that gold, that myrrh, that frankincense, sell it, get a good price, and be able to travel into Africa, into Egypt with baby Jesus and stay there until Herod died. So those gifts financed their movement into Egypt. So they weren't there long, but their presence was felt. So here's what I want you to do with this message. I want you to take a moment and thank God for the messy friends in your life. The ones who have shown up for you and stood there with you when perhaps your family wasn't there. You see, the way God does it in the kingdom of God, your spiritual family many times can be closer to you than your biological family. Your true brothers and sisters may not be the people that have your same last name. They may be the people who have the same blood of the lamb attributed to their lives. Remember when uh, they told Jesus, hey, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside. I know you're busy preaching, but, but your family's waiting for you. And Jesus said, who is my mother and my father, my brothers and my sisters, those who do the will of God? And so Jesus was saying in that moment, I don't neglect my biological family, but there is a priority in my life of my spiritual family. 
And so in the household of faith, some of your closest friends are going to be people of a different ethnicity, people of a different culture, but people who serve the same God. And you will be linked with them through the Holy Spirit, whom we are all able to drink and enjoy his presence. So sometimes God will bring family members into your life through the body of Christ. So thank him for those people in your life, those gifts wrapped in human flesh that he has brought into your life to stand with you and celebrate or even to stand with you and mourn in, in broken seasons in your life. Maybe you need to get on the phone and just call one of them and just say, I just want to thank you for being a friend who has stuck closer to me than my brother or than my sister. Thank you. And not only that, why don't you ask God to help you be that kind of friend to other folks? Because, yeah, it's good to have those kind of friends. But I think it's even better when you can be one of those kind of friends. That you don't have to wait for somebody to call you and say what they need. No, no, no. You have an idea of what they need and you jump to that to be that kind of messy friend. Because all of us are a mess. None of us are perfect. But that's why we have Jesus. Amen. Messy people. Thank God for them. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for sending people to Mary and Joseph. Thank you, Lord, that they didn't, they didn't have to go through that wonderful evening alone. Thank you, Lord, for raising up shepherds, people who were last in society. You made them first, and they got to see angels in a heavenly choir against the backdrop of a cold night. They got to see something that no one else has ever seen. Thank you for honoring the least of these in our culture. And thank you, Lord, for honoring this family who, although they were bringing in the greatest treasure of all, it is very possible that they were treated like trash. But I thank you that you always have your people who will stand when our families won't. So this Christmas, might we be thankful for the friends in our lives who've been there with us and for us, and might we be there with and for them. For it's in Jesus' name that I pray and ask it. Amen. Merry Christmas, Strong Tower. Heaven and heaven and nature sing. And heaven and heaven and nature Thank you for joining us today at Strong Tower Bible Church, where Dr. Chris Williamson is senior pastor. We hope you enjoyed worshiping with us and will join us next Sunday morning right here for our 1030 a.m. service. Be sure to stay informed on upcoming Strong Tower Bible Church events and activities. Download the Strong Tower Bible Church app in the App Store or visit our website at www.strongtowerbiblechurch.com. We pray you have a blessed, wonderful, and safe remainder of the day, and we'll see you next week, same time, right here at the Tower.